Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Let us pray. Dear Lord, open your word to us that it would touch our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture reading from today is from Revelation 1, 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, Priest serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verses 10 through 15. When the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cake and cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on that day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Once when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said, Are you one of us or one of our adversaries? He replied, Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And he said to him, What do you command your servant, my Lord? The commander of the army of the Lord said to Joshua, Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This is the word of the Lord. During holidays, like Thanksgiving, we often become more aware of families' different traditions. Visiting a relative or someone unrelated to you can be like visiting another country sometimes, where you're the outsider and you have to learn all of the social norms. For example, have you ever been surprised by forgetting to remove your shoes in a household that keeps this tradition? Or do your families keep this tradition yourself? Although Christians don't usually remove their shoes at the entrance of a church, there are many places of worship within the U.S. where people must remove their shoes before they enter. For example, in Ann Arbor, at the Islamic Center on Plymouth Road, guests are required to remove their shoes to help maintain the cleanliness and sanctity of the mosque. Imagine for a moment that we had that practice here at First Pres. 
how would you respond? Our feet show everything we've been through. The miles we've walked in our lives, the calluses, the odd formations, maybe the smell from sweating, maybe holes in our socks or mismatched socks because we couldn't find the matching sock that morning. So then removing our shoes and socks is a very vulnerable thing to do. It's no wonder some people feel uncomfortable taking off their shoes and their socks. This may have been how Joshua felt in our story when the commander of the army of the Lord asked him to remove his sandals and stand right on the dirty, gritty, probably rocky ground. The setting of our story today is Canaan, a land scripture sometimes describes as flowing with milk and honey. Most of the story happens just outside of Jericho, the very eastern border of the land the Israelites had been promised. Jericho is a humid oasis in the middle of the Judean desert. It's the lowest point of the Jordan River Valley, where the river empties into the Dead Sea. So as a result of all of these factors, there was probably also plenty of mud there. In fact, many dwellings people made were made at least partly from clay or mud, and people may have even used clay or mud in building the walls of Jericho. The Israelites' time in the land of Canaan, the promised land they had been trained to reach for 40 long years, their time there so far had been full of surprises. When they had reached Gilgal and set up camp for the night, they prepared to celebrate Passover just as they did every year to remember how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. But suddenly, they ran out of the manna, the bread that God had miraculously provided for them while they were in the wilderness. But God surprised them by providing unleavened bread for them through the grains of the land in Canaan. They thought the manna had carried them all that way instead of God. But the manna was simply a symbol of God hearing their cries and providing for them. God had surprised them once again by providing for them in unexpected ways. So the Israelites had two central activities at Gilgal that had to happen before they moved forward into their new home. And that was circumcising the new generation of males and also celebrating Passover. This point is the transition from their old life to their new life. In this liminal space, when Joshua had almost reached Jericho, just west of Gilgal, there's yet another surprise. He looks up at the horizon, and suddenly he sees a man with a sword drawn. Not surprisingly, he thinks this man must be a member of a human army. And so, of course, he asks, are you for us, or are you for our enemies? These are the only two categories that make sense to Joshua. Either this person must be for the Israelites or for the Canaanites. As a leader of the Israelites, Joshua needs to know right away if this person is a threat to him and his people. This commander responds with a strange answer. Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. This messenger, who many scholars interpret as being an angel from God, this messenger disrupts Joshua's human categories of us versus them, our tribe versus their tribe. The angel challenges Joshua to think beyond their human categorizations, 
beyond the black and the white. This angel isn't in either human army. It's in the Lord's army, which is another way of saying it's a messenger from God. So Joshua then falls to the ground in submission, still with his walking sandals on. He knows this is a critical moment. The angel of God would deliver a prophecy about their impending battle with the people of Jericho and who would win. But the only thing the angel says is that Joshua has to take off his sandals. Joshua's sandals, which were probably very dirty and smelly, were the only thing protecting him from getting stuck in the muck of the road he was journeying on. As the Israelites traveled from place to place, he may have felt that his sandals were his only protection, the only thing keeping him semi-clean in their nomadic existence. And after all that walking, his feet probably looked pretty bad. Nevertheless, he takes his sandals off because it was what God, speaking through the angel, had called him to do. This angel proclaims that this ordinary, dirty, muddy, rocky ground, the place upon which he stood was holy, that God was there. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine God in these rocky, dirty places, these unexpected places. Presbyterian pastor and theologian Frederick Buechner once wrote that God's surprising incarnation in Jesus Christ showed us that there is now no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. There's no time or place or situation where God isn't present and the Holy Spirit isn't working in unexpected ways. I experienced this firsthand last, last May when a group of 17 First Pres members and their friends went on a pilgrimage trip where we walked about 90 miles through the Tuscan region of Italy. It had rained a whole lot before we arrived, so the Via Francigena pilgrimage trail was not only full of a lot of hills, but lots of mud. So we had lots of muddy uphill treks. As I trudged through the muddy, sometimes completely wet trail, I couldn't help but constantly think, well, this isn't the holy pilgrimage I'd imagined, as I constantly thought about being done walking for the day. I'd often daydream about being at our hotel for the night with the roof over my head, eating a delicious Italian meal. It was easier for me to believe that God was present with us when we are at the top of a huge hill rather than the bottom of a huge hill. It was easier for me to believe that God was present when there was a clear, sunny blue sky rather than gray skies and a lot of water. But God was also there with us on the trail at the bottom of a huge hill when it was muddy and dark. God was paving the way and making it holy. One day, we had to trudge up a steep hill that was so muddy, it was like sinking sand. It felt like the mud was going to rip our boots right off. One of the brave and adventurous women on our pilgrimage didn't let the challenge stop her. She wasn't going to quit walking on the difficult road God had called us to. So she pulled off her boots, then trudged up this muddy, wet hill in only her socks. 
the path had been set, and we had been called by God forward. Take off your shoes, the angel said. The ground you are standing on is holy. Joshua thought he was simply on his way from Gilgal to Jericho. But God caught Joshua in this messy moment of transition from one place to another and said, Stop. Take off your sandals. The place you're standing is holy. And then we don't get much more of anything from this angel. So the only thing Joshua knows, based on what the angel said, is that the ground he is standing on is holy, and God is there. Although Joshua doesn't know exactly what will happen at this threshold moment in time, he's awakened by this encounter with God. Joshua realizes he has to pay more attention to God's presence and activity in this place. It was a reminder that God was still doing holy work in that moment, not only when they had reached the inner walls of Jericho and had become fully settled into Canaan. The eternal God, the one that had brought them out of Egypt and sustained them in the wilderness, was holy. And holy meant that their understandings of reality, their categories of us versus them, our tribe versus their tribe, were too limited. In many ways, Joshua's world is like our own flattened contemporary society, where almost everything is seen for its transactional value. Will it be a gain or a loss for me? God challenged Joshua to set aside his preconceived notions about the way things could be and how God was showing up in their lives, to think about people and encounters beyond simply their transactional value. In the same way, God called Joshua to recognize the holy moment, the power in the presence, in the moment he was in right then and there, in that transition that was full of uncertainty. This encounter with the angel reminds the Israelites and their leader Joshua that God will fulfill a promise not only to rescue them from slavery, but to see them through and build them a new life, a new chapter, and a new home. When you're in a time of transition, it can be tempting to look back at the past, like the Israelites did as they reflected on their time in Egypt and the wilderness. They wanted the manna to keep coming. We can look back at certain leaders on certain programs, events, or activities that we've always done in the past. We can mistakenly think that those were the things that sustained us. Those were the things that saved us rather than Christ. And it can be equally tempting to look forward, like the Israelites looked forward towards settling in the promised land. We are called to pay attention, insisting not on our way, but on God's way. Just as God offered the Israelites a way forward, so God offers us an alternative way forward that is redemptive and restorative and holy. Understanding the holiness of God and the obedience we're called to because of this obedience, it levels the playing field. There's no longer us versus them, this leader versus that leader. But instead, we point to God's holiness. We can never rely on our own righteousness or how we are more righteous than another, for it's only through Christ that we're righteous. 
It forces us to understand that all aspects of our ministry are equally clothed in this holy presence of God, that each time is equally important, and that we are simply partners in Christ's ministry on earth. So as we look forward, we must also remember to take off our sandals, to feel the place God has planted us right now, and be willing to get our feet a little dirty. We have to remember to rely on God in this time and place For it is God who makes this path holy, not our own walking. Amen. Friends, let us profess the faith of the church, the faith in which we baptize using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Please stand in body or in spirit. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Our loving friend and compassionate Lord, how humbled we are and how challenged by you. You are holy. You are all We are so human and so limited. It is not easy to offer you the whole of our lives to every morning wake up and seek your way no matter the challenge your way brings. It is not simple to choose your path, to lay down our own neediness, to lay aside our desire for affirmation, for security or prominence, and offer ourselves in humility to you. It is not effortless to give up wanting to always be right and accepting when we are wrong. Yet the easy and the simple and the effortless are not our life's calling. Come and shape and strengthen our desire, deepen our love, empower our passion for what is right. Let us feel the Spirit's energy willing us to be your people. Make us more articulate, not merely in our speaking, but in our doing. That those around us would know this, that it is in you that we find our meaning, our peace, and our soul's compass. Lord of love, you call us to service. Open our eyes not only to the beauty and love which you create, but the injustice, hate, and suffering that humankind generates. Open our ears not only to the chattering of the weak, but the searching, fears, and questioning of all whom we shall meet. Open our hands not only to those we choose our lives to share, but in welcome, love, and fellowship to all who you draw near. Open our mouths not only to speak platitudes and simple words, but the truths you lay upon our hearts. Your word for this, your world. Give us the grace and faith and strength to answer that call, to just do what we can do, to try, to try and fail and try again. God, you are often hidden in the broken and hurting world. The devastation of the California fires and the hurricane floods weigh on our minds, 
ongoing agony in Syria, opioid overdose, overdose snuffing out so many bright and beautiful lives, people at the border seeking a safe place to be with opportunity, stacking up on top of each other in subhuman conditions. Come, our Lord, and show yourself and your compassion for your people everywhere and help us to help you. Lord of all, these days are turning quickly into that season where we struggle to do it all. The impending joy of Advent is nearly upon us and the full force of winter. So many of us are so lost, so broken, so sad. So much cancer, so much grief, so much poverty. So many people are in prison and homeless shelters and in halfway houses. So many are in prisons of their own making. Family estrangements and anger in the workplace and feelings of failure, of never measuring up. Each one of us very personally struggles to know that you care about us and whatever it is that is weighing on us this very day. Lord, of all these feelings, we need to see with your eyes and feel with your heart and hope with your hope. Can it be so? Yes, Lord, it can with you. Send your help, send your peace, and send your grace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.